You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha, church. So good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. If you don't know me, my name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality, and I hope to, if I haven't met you, I hope to meet you soon in person. Um, On that note, if you've been following us the past few weeks, whether that's on Sundays or social media, we've been announcing that we're in the process of moving back to safely gathering in person again. And first it'll be, you know, changing our midweek prayer meeting to in-person, and then after that on Sundays. Um, We unfortunately are still awaiting more clarity and a final word when we can get back in Oleolani on Sundays. Should be fairly soon here, but again, we're still kind of in a holding pattern. We'll keep you posted on that. Love for you to pray that in, um, and that would continue to happen. But I am excited to announce that I do have a date and a time and a location for the midweek in-person prayer meeting. Um, you can, you'll, you'll be able to find this all on our website um, this next week. But starting Wednesday, November 11th, it's right, changing from Tuesdays to Wednesday at 7 p.m., which is also a time change from our previous 8 p.m. Zoom meeting, we will be meeting at the Witties Home, which is located in uh, the Makiki Heights, Papakulea area, uh, on the hill right behind Punchbowl on Lower Tantalus. Um, about five minutes or so from Punahou, if that kind of gives you a ballpark of where, where it's going to be at. But it's a large property. We're going to be praying outside, have lots of room to spread out. Uh, it'll be a COVID safe. We'll be wearing masks and being social distancing. Um, but we'll be in person. Get to see each other's eyes and be in person and pray together. And sometimes we may have worship. And it, it overlooks the city. Um, and so it'll be an incredible place to pray and just reconnect as a church again. Um, there'll be more info on the website about all of that, but if you are comfortable to come, you're feeling okay with that, um, we're going to have a COVID safe prayer meeting start here, starting here every Wednesday night, starting Wednesday, November 11th at 7 p.m. So really excited for that. But uh, transitioning to the Word of God now, it has been a few weeks since I've been teaching the Word of God, um, but we have been so blessed to have a handful of others these last several weeks as we've done this series about God's faithfulness. And I was blessed, I hope you were as well, and the Lord ministered to you to have Dave and Chris and Sean, um, those, those guys were such a blessing to have expound upon the faithfulness of God in light of such an unstable time. And instead of jumping right back in the book of Acts, um, mostly in light of the election this week and all that's surrounding it and all that's going on in our country and the world, uh, as I was praying to prepare, um, I really felt led and wanted to spend this morning looking at how Jesus and his followers viewed the world around them. And by using the Lord's example, that we might also use it as a model ourselves to follow after. And why this is important is that the way in which Jesus, right, God in the flesh, viewed the world around him, 
and his earthly surroundings and what he taught his followers during that three-year period of public ministry, which we have compiled in the narrative accounts, the historical narrative accounts, the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The way in which Jesus viewed the world and told his followers to view the world applies to us. Not only them, but to us as well. And that's because if you're listening to this and you are a professing Christian, that makes you a follower of Jesus. And if that's true, if we call ourselves Christians, part of our core identity is that we're disciples. But discipleship is, a, is really an unused or an outdated word right now. I don't know how many of us use it commonly. But a better understanding of what discipleship actually is, is apprenticeship. Apprenticeship is, is something I think that we can greater understand. And so part of our core identity as disciples is to apprentice Jesus, right? To follow him of how he would view and treat the world in our current context. What would Jesus do? How would he view that situation, that problem? How would he engage? And if we look at the gospel accounts, what we will see is that Jesus and his followers viewed the earthly, present, and even political circumstances around them with a kingdom lens, with a kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven lens in which they viewed the whole world. They measured up everything they saw according to the kingdom of God. How does this fit into God's kingdom and his rule and his reign and his will? And because they viewed everything with a kingdom of God lens, it in turn brought clarity, direction, meaning, purpose to every circumstance they encountered. The best, the best uh, analogy for this idea of having a kingdom lens that Jesus modeled and he taught his followers is... Is what looks like what we, what me, what we, excuse me, I can't speak right now. What we might relate to is is what happens when you have a mask or goggles uh, for you in the ocean. Like what comes of that when you actually put goggles and masks on, especially here in Hawaii with really clear water. And as a dad of young kids, I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, uh, specifically my seven-year-old daughter, Eva. She is a true boundary-pushing adventurer at heart. And um, wearing goggles in Hawaii, in the ocean, has literally changed her world. Like, it's changed her world. Um, when she first started swimming, as most little kids do, they don't like things on their face, it bugs them, it's restrictive, they don't know the purpose. Uh, and so when she kind of fought the goggles uh, wearing in the ocean a couple years ago, when she's three, four years old, um, it, was, it was frustrating. 
right? Like when she was swimming in the ocean, she would try to go under, underneath and uh, without goggles, her eyes started hurting and it was, she was blurry and she kind of felt like lost and um, there really wasn't much to do, right, uh, under the water. And it made her frustrated and actually even created fear under it because, you know, obviously Hawaii, there's a lot of rocks and there's things on the ground. It's not always just sandy. And so she would just go, I don't know how deep it is or what's under there or what's going on. And so uh, not wearing goggles actually created fear and frustration. And she was missing a whole underwater world beneath her, right? But once she got the whole goggle thing down and she was comfortable, she put them on and she was comfortable and she used them. And her, her eyes were opened to, to viewing this underwater world with clarity. All things came into perspective, right? Uh, they were in their right place. She began to understand and explore. And now, since she has these new lenses on that brings clarity, there literally is no getting her out of the water. She wants to go deeper. Dad, let me ride on your back so you can take me deeper. I want to take the GoPro. Uh, we went to the, the big island a few months ago and uh, just exploring new places. She couldn't get enough of it. Like, let's go see what's underneath that and all the rocky shorelines there. But all of this is only possible because she has the right lenses. Otherwise, she would never know how to navigate or understand anything. It would leave her fearful and frustrated and lost. And it would all be lost to her. And the reason why I bring that up this morning, teaching the Bible, is that right now, if you are attempting, if you're listening to this, and you're attempting to understand the world we live in right now, and what's happening, and what your place should be, and how your what your involvement should look like, and where your hope or your trust or your security should lie, if you're trying to do all of that without a proper kingdom of God worldview, then you're going to be filled with fear and confusion and worry, anxiety, paranoia, you name it. And you may not, you may even, not even knowing it, you may have put your, your hope and your well-being and your security and really the fate of the world on what happens Tuesday, on election day. But what I wanna to do today is I want to remind us of the importance of having a correct kingdom lens on as Christians. Because if we do not, we won't be able to interpret and clearly understand how a biblical Christian should view all that's going on around us. And if we're not careful, if we don't have that, we'll just jump into whatever voices or we're listening to whatever voices we're listening to or happen to follow on social media, right? And all of a sudden, instead of Jesus shaping our view of the world, something else will. But what's really interesting is actually how much we can glean from when it comes to following Jesus in the midst of a politically charged climate. Because, which is important, we need that. How do you follow Jesus in the midst of a politically charged climate? That's literally right now, this week, this time, 2020. 
The reason why the Bible has something to say about it is I think often we forget that the climate going on in the midst of Jesus' three-year public ministry was very politically charged, right? At the time, the Roman Empire was spread all over that region. Israel had fallen to that. And the people and the nation of Israel had been taken over and now oppressed by this powerful empire, right? Taxes are imposed, laws are put in place, governors are changed. I mean, this is really gnarly. And so for Jews... What they were hoping for was the Messiah to come and save them. And for the Jewish religious leaders of the time, they were also hoping for this. The Messiah was the one that was prophesied about that would come to save them. It would fulfill Old Testament prophecy being their savior. Like the savior was going to come save them. But much of their hope in the Messiah And what they wanted the Messiah to do was to come and free them from political oppression. And what we see is that they had a very specific, some very specific expectations of how the Messiah was going to come and how he was going to make their life better. But what became incredibly damaging and dangerous was that under the cloak of religion and godliness, they were legalistically putting standards on people and practices and ways of life that weren't right. Even though their words spoke of godly things, their hearts and their actions became self-centered, hypocritical, and earthly-based. These religious leaders are the Pharisees. These religious leaders, when when they thought of the Messiah coming, when they thought of the Savior coming, they actually had a really narrow view of who they expected Jesus to be and how he was to act when he came. And again, they were only primarily thinking and wanting national peace and external peace, right? Freedom from Rome and political freedom and back to a better way of life for Israel. And when Jesus came on the scene, right, and he began to do miracles that only the promised Messiah was going to do. These were called messianic miracles. And he began to speak the way he did. He, He was fulfilling prophecy. These things were pointing to Jesus as the promised Messiah. But he did things very differently than the religious leaders expected him to do, thought that he should do. And it caused major controversy with the religious leaders of the time. And it's because Jesus' primary task in coming wasn't to fix Israel's temporal earthly and political problems, he came to live and die to give the whole world internal peace between all humanity and their creator and father God. A lot bigger than what they wanted, what they expected, what they thought. See, the religious leaders had, had a much too narrow view of how God was going to work in the world 
and in their country and in their nation on their behalf. And they were putting their hope and security in the restoration of their nation, but, but Jesus came to usher in not only, not only peace for a single nation, but he came to usher in the kingdom of God to the whole world. You see, they were thinking nation. Jesus was thinking kingdom. And we should pause there. You might be thinking that what I'm saying is controversial. But I'm going to tell you it's biblical. And again, I, I'm not saying, if, you, if you're reading this a certain way right now, I am not saying that we shouldn't be concerned with what happens to the nation and in the nation we live in, or anything like that. Remember what I've said before, many times. Where there's people involved, this is where Christians should be. On any level, on any issue, on any law, whatever it is especially when it comes with how we love and treat others, right? Our participation and witness are of utmost importance, especially in the areas in this world where sin and the effects of sin is present. The people of God need to be present to bring the love of God and the hope of God to a lost and dying people. But what I want us to do today is I, I believe we need to be aware of the place of prominence in our hearts and the amount of attention in our, of our minds that we're giving to the building of God's eternal kingdom, which supersedes any border, right? Compared to the place of prominence in our hearts and the amount of attention of our minds that we're giving place, uh, that, we're, that we're giving to any temporary earthly nation. So I want us to, to be aware, take stock, assess how much prominence in our hearts and attention in our minds are we giving to the building of God's kingdom or to the temporary earthly nation that we're a part of. And, and I say this because scripture is very concerned with what our heart and mind is consumed with and what our primary allegiance is to. This is biblical. This is not controversial. And we have to give honest and sincere reflection as to where our primary attention, affection, and security lies. And so I have some reflection questions for you either to write down, take note, and to ask yourself. Maybe it's in the second set of worship after this sermon that we, that we ponder, that we ask God to search our hearts for. One, one reflection question might be, how much are we putting all our eggs in the basket, so to speak, when it comes to the election? How devastated will you be if your candidate you want doesn't win? It's important to ask ourselves questions like this because these are heart issues. They affect how much emphasis, how much prominence, where our hope and our security might lie. But back to the Pharisees for a second in the Gospels. You see, what they wanted in a savior was a warrior king. 
right, that would come and storm Jerusalem and, and free them from Rome. That's what they wanted. But what Jesus came as was a humble servant savior that wouldn't rule on any earthly throne, but rather die a criminal's death to save the entire world. If there's one thing I wish I could sit down and in a loving way tell every professing American Christian right now, including you and I, is to make sure that all of us are having an eternal kingdom mindset over merely a temporal national one. Again, it doesn't mean that we can't have both. We need to make sure that our attention and affection lies on King Jesus more than any earthly king. I would lovingly sit down and tell every Christian, again, this is just my heart, to not be a Pharisee, but to be a follower. To not put your hope in an earthly king, but put your hope in the king of kings. That, and that king of kings is Jesus Christ, who sits now at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning the whole universe. To have a heart check. To have a perspective check. Are we having a kingdom mindset? Where does our hope and our security lie? And Jesus actually told us a lot of ways how to keep a kingdom perspective when we came up to the things in the world. But he also knew that we'd have trouble with it and we'd complicate it. And so he intentionally made it pretty simple. Number one is he said that you need to pray about this, right? In Matthew chapter six, he, he said that we as followers of Jesus, as disciples, as apprentices, the way in which we should pray is for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we're supposed to pray kingdom prayers and have a kingdom mindset when we ask God for things. Number two, he told us in no certain words to not complicate this. His followers asked, you know, concerning how they might honor God and follow God and see the kingdom come. Right? And they said, there's so many commandments from the law. There's 613 commandments. Which ones are the most important? What are the things we should concentrate on most to see your kingdom come? And what Jesus said, what it all boiled down to, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. No strings attached. N not... Not what's culturally appropriate, not what fits into a certain party, not what someone else tells you to do, not what's not controversial or not. Jesus said, I want you to love me with all that you are, and I want you to love that person next to you the way I would love them. That's so, it seems so difficult these days. And Jesus knew that we'd have trouble doing it, and so he tried to intentionally make it simple for us. Pray for these things. You can't do it on your own. You need to pray it in. 
but then also don't complicate it. Love me and love other people. And then lastly, a huge way that we have these kingdom lenses, that we see the world through a kingdom mindset, is stay near to Christ. Over and over, the theme comes up, if you stay near to me, if you learn from me, if you watch me, you'll be a part, you'll, you will be a part of seeing God's kingdom come. And an example of when he said this, one example would be John chapter 10. And I want to I leave us with that. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 10, verses 14 through 20. If you don't have one readily available, it's going to be on the screen here. You can come back to it as well. But the context here is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and his followers around him about who he is, who they are, and who the kingdom is for. I'm going to read this, pull out a few points, and... Uh, head into worship. Here's John 10, 14 through 20. Jesus speaking. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Okay, a few, new, a few notes to pull out. We see here in this passage that Jesus came to save more than Israel. We see that in verse 16. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I need to go get them. What he's saying there is that the kingdom of God, the cross, forgiveness of sins, salvation, the truth of who Jesus is, and the kingdom of God is bigger than any empire, nation, or country. To think it only applies to a certain place at a certain, certain time is a narrow view and not a kingdom view. This passage also tells us that Jesus desires unity in his church despite differences. Can I get an amen? We need it right now. Despite our differences in the church as Christians, we need to band together and be unified around the person of Jesus. Right? It says there that Jesus desires to have one flock and to be their one shepherd. But sadly, what we also see here is that not everyone believes and receives this. It's too, it's too much, it's too crazy, it's too different what they wanted. And lastly, the ones who knew the Lord well and followed him were the ones that stayed close to him and knew his voice. They were led, cared for, and formed by their shepherd. Closing words. And my exhortation to you. 
including me, all of us, this election week and beyond, this is my exhortation, let's assess the state of our heart. Let's be mindful of our witness to those around us that don't know Jesus. Let's be a follower of Jesus and not a Pharisee. Let's be a part of building God's kingdom and let's tune our hearts to hear the voice of our good shepherd and let that voice be the loudest one in our lives. Amen? Amen. Love you, church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ability to dig into your word. We thank you that you, Father, are the perfect example, that you, Jesus, the way you loved people, the way you interacted, what was most important, how you saw the world with a heavenly kingdom perspective. God, we want that. Would you help us to be your disciples, your apprentices, and, and especially this week, this time of life that we are living in, we pray that our primary affection and primary attention and allegiance would be that to King Jesus. God, for those of us that have put our hope and our trust and our security in things that aren't of you, I pray that you would lovingly correct us and heal us and set us right and have our eyes fixed upon you again. God, we pray that you would fill our homes with your presence now as we worship, that you would get all the credit and all the glory because you are worthy and deserving of it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.